Okay, Ezekiel 36, 16 to 32. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations... I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will bring you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. Next reading is from Luke 11, 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thanks, Wayne. All right, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Wayne. Uh, I want to begin uh, with a promise this morning. Uh, and when we hear a promise from God, we want to take it to heart because God doesn't give promises lightly. Uh, and here is the promise. God says, I will give you the desires of your heart. Did you know that that is a promise from God? Uh, God says, I will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, now, now that, when God makes a promise, as I say, he doesn't make it lightly. Uh, and so what we want to do is take hold of that promise and make the most of it. Um, and I want to come back to that promise towards the end because it's right at the heart of what we're talking about today. Prayer is bringing our desires to God. And if we can pray with confidence that God will give us the desires of our hearts, how good is that? But we need to understand that promise a little more if we're going to take advantage of it. So uh, we're going to come back to that towards the end. But this morning we kick off our series in the Lord's Prayer. Does anyone know what prayer means? What the word pray means? Intercede. It's actually quite a simple I ask. Yeah, it just means ask. Um, so when we pray, we ask God for things. Um, now, we certainly ought to thank God and praise him but the word prayer is about asking God for the things that we desire for the things that we need and the Lord's Prayer if you have a look at it Michael just so you know it's in the outline there right so there's one printed there um, the Lord's Prayer is actually just a series of six requests six things to ask God for uh, and You'll notice this series goes for six weeks, so we get one of those things each week for the next six weeks. Um, uh, and it w my, my prayer is that this will transform our prayer lives individually as a church, but also our attitudes, our motivations, uh, what we're living for. Uh, because as we hear the sort of things Jesus calls on us to ask God for, it actually changes what we think is important. Uh, so that's my prayer. But before we get to the things that we ought to ask God for, I want you to notice who we are praying to. We are praying to our Father in heaven. Um, and so there's a couple of key ideas there. The first is that God is in heaven. Right? Uh, and that's the idea you get throughout the whole Bible, that God is the awesome, all-powerful creator and he rules the whole world from his throne in heaven where he is seated as king. Um, so 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 says this, God, the blessed, the only ruler, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. You get this idea of the awesome, all-powerful creator God who rules everything. And one of the phrases that runs through the whole Bible is 
nothing is impossible with God. Because God rules our world, he is able to do whatever he wants. If God decides he wants to do something, nothing gets in the way of God achieving whatever he wants. Now, here is the thing, though. This all-powerful ruler, creator God, we come to him as our father. Uh, it, we have this incredible privilege. So we must never forget his awesomeness, his power, but we have this privilege of calling on him as our dad, our father. And when Jesus teaches this prayer in both Luke 11 and in Matthew 6, he compares God to earthly fathers, right? God is so much better than an earthly father, but the character of being a father is that your kids ask you stuff. You just, you just watch uh, at morning tea. When the kids come back in, one of the first things they'll do is go up to the dad and say, hey, dad, they'll get their dad's attention. Hey, dad, uh, you know, can, can I go over to such and such's place? Or, hey, dad, can we go to Macca's you know, on our way home? Or, hey, dad, can you come and kick the ball with me? you know, out in the, on the Oval, or, you know, whatever it is. And I've noticed that um, even when kids start reaching adulthood, they still ask their dad for stuff. Uh, and when, when I see my kids doing it, it's reminded me that I still ask my dad for stuff, even though 46, he must be thinking, man, when is he going to get on with his own life? But uh, uh, we, that's the character of fatherhood, is that your kids ask the, their dad for stuff. Uh, and if you trust Jesus as your saviour and your king, then you have this privilege of being adopted into God's family. Uh, it is so special. Uh, and God loves you. God delights in you bringing your requests to him. God loves it when you come to him and ask for stuff. Ask for the things that you need. So when we pray our Father in heaven, we're recognising two truths. One, God is able. Nothing is impossible with God. And God is willing. He loves to give his children good things when they ask. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is your Father in heaven, that he is able and willing to give you the good things you ask for? Because uh, if you believe those two things, then surely you will pray to him. Uh, surely that will break down those barriers that stop you praying to him. Oh, uh, have, has anyone been on the phone for an extended period of time this week to um, Telstra or Centrelink? Any, anyone or anything like that? Anyone? Uh, it's a weekly ritual, isn't it, for some of us? But you're just spending... On, and, you know how exasperating that whole thing can be uh, when you're just on the phone and you're desperately hoping to speak to a real voice to start with. Uh, you're desperately hoping that real voice will be in Australia uh, and you're hoping that, that there'll be someone who is willing to listen to your needs, uh, who, is, who is actually uh, sympathetic towards what you're asking, what you need, and you also want someone who's actually able to do something about it, uh, who is able to help you. Uh, now, just imagine the boss of Telstra uh, was your friend. Uh, and he said to you, look, look, any time you have a problem with your phones 
or your internet, which you know could be a daily occurrence for some of us. Uh, but anytime you have a problem, just just call me. Right? It doesn't matter, day or night, doesn't matter. Like I'll I'll sort it out for you. How good would that be? Uh, or imagine if um, Tony Abbott was your friend. Uh, <laughs> what could be better than that, right? Tony Abbott is your friend, and he says, "Look, look, Dave." Um, just any time you have a problem with Centrelink or, or tax or if you need a visa application, any of that sort of stuff, anything at all, I'm, I can pull a lot of strings. I can, I've got a fair bit of power, so just call me and I'll sort it out. Um, you'd be on the phone to him on, almost on a daily basis. You would, you would take advantage of his generous offer as your friend. Now, we have something if that were possible, we have something better than that. Better than Tony Abbott being a good friend. Um, the God of the universe has adopted us as his children. And if we are anxious about something, if we need something, he just wants us to come and ask and bring our request to him. Uh, and the good thing is he knows what we need before we even ask. Uh, so we don't, he's going to understand what we're talking about. So what we ought to do is pray. We'd be crazy not to take advantage of this fatherly relationship we have with the God of the universe. We've got to take God up on his offer and stir one another to do the same, to cast our cares on him. But here is the question. Right, of all the things you could ask God for, what will you ask God for? Um, of all the myriad of things that you feel like you need or want or of your desires, what are you going to ask God for? Because that question will expose what is most important to you. Uh, that will expose the desires of your heart, the things that you bring to God in prayer. And Jesus says the first thing you should ask for God is this, hallowed be your name. Now, it's not immediately obvious what we're asking God there, is it? Um, it doesn't even sound like a request. In fact, I heard of one guy who grew up going to a Catholic school who prayed this prayer every day, our Father in heaven, Harold be your name. And he'd gone through most of his school years thinking God's name was Harold, and so he was just calling God by name every time he prayed this prayer. But that word hallowed, not Harold, hallowed, it's not a very common word these days, is it? Um, but the irony is I've heard that word used in three different contexts, nothing to do with the Lord's Prayer in the last week. Can anyone guess where I have heard that word. I've heard, it's all over the place, right? I've heard it. The cricket, the cricket. So, the hallowed turf of Lord's Cricket Ground in, in England. Um, and that's where Steve Smith, if you haven't caught up, scored a double century. Um, but they keep talking about the hallowed turf of Lord's. Um, where else have I heard it? What's that? No, 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 not, not the military. Secondly is Wimbledon, the tennis, uh, the hallowed turf of Wimbledon. You, you're used to these, you, you hear this on the news. Um, so, and 
Novak Djokovic actually knelt down and ate some of it. Uh, he picked a little tuft of the hallowed turf and ate it when he won Wimbledon. Where's the third one? It's sporting as well. You just got to think, bro. Come on, guys. It's a little, little round white ball. Golf. St Andrews, right? And British Open is being played right now. There's Adam Scott, who's going to win uh, tomorrow or the next day, the British Open. Um, in each case, the word hallowed means that this ground has been made holy. Um, and it, not in a religious sense, although for some people sport is a god, but what it means to make something holy is it's set apart for a particular purpose. And so the grounds of Lords are set apart for cricket. You know how our you know, SCG, we're willing to play Aussie rules, soccer. We, we, we have even motocross. They, they transform it into a, a, a stadium for music, but not at Lords. If you look at the itinerary of what happens at Lords throughout the year, what is it? It's cricket, and only cricket because it is, it is set apart for the game of cricket. It is the home of cricket. Um, when you come to Wimbledon, same there, only tennis. No, nothing else is played there, and come to St Andrews, only golf. They are places that are hallowed, that have been set apart for that particular sport and nothing else. Now, when we pray to God, hallowed be your name, we are asking God to make his name holy, set apart, unique, honoured. But it raises the question, isn't God's name already holy? Uh, doesn't it feel a little bit... Um, why would you need to pray for God's name to be holy when God is holy by definition? Um, so you read through the Bible... And you keep on hearing that God is holy. Isaiah walks into the temple and he hears the angels singing that song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when, when Isaiah hears it, he just falls flat on his face in dread because you come face to face with the holy God as a sinful person and you just realise how unique, how holy, how perfect and pure and righteous God is. And the only reaction is you, you just fall on your face in terror and you worship this God. God is holy, so why would we pray, hallowed be your name? Have you ever thought about that? The key background is Ezekiel chapter 36. Right? So that's, how, that's why I read it, even though it's got some stuff in that passage that's not politically correct by any means. But Ezekiel 36 is the background. The people of Israel, you see in the Old Testament, are God's chosen people. God had given them his law and they were meant to live according to his law and they were meant to shine out like a light amongst all the nations. And there were times in their history when they did that. Uh, so you remember when the Queen of Sheba came during Solomon's reign. And she had heard of the splendour and the glory and the wisdom of Israel, but she came to see it for herself. And when she saw how this kingdom was ruled, 
and the wisdom and the righteousness of the kingdom of Israel, what was her response? She said to Solomon, praise be Yahweh your God. Uh, You have a great God and he has given you a great kingdom and he has given you great wisdom. Uh, so there, are ta- there, are, there were high points when Israel actually functioned as they were supposed to, but they were all too rare. By the time we get to Ezekiel 36, it has all come crashing down, literally. Uh, the nation had turned away from God. They had chased after other gods. They had rejected God and his law. Uh, they were uh, a, nation, a sinful nation in God's sight. And so God had judged them just as he promised. God said, when you forsake my law, I will bring my judgments against you. And he did. The, the, The nation of Babylon had come and Israel had been destroyed and scattered. The people were scattered amongst all the nations in the ancient world. Now, what was the outcome of that event? As the people of Israel are scattered through all the nations of the ancient world. What's the outcome? Yep, thank you, Darren. Let's have a look. Israel profaned God's holy name. Now, does anyone want to guess what word is the opposite of hallowed? Profaned, I saw you say it there, Sue. Yeah, profaned, right? So, what you can do with God's name is you can hallow God's name, and that is you can, you can give God the reputation, the good reputation he deserves so that his name is honoured as holy, or you can profane God's name and give God a bad reputation, and it's like you're treading God's name underfoot and making it a laughingstock. That is exactly what Israel had done. They were meant to bring glory to God, They were meant to bring honour to him like a city on a hill shining as a beacon for all nations to go, wow, God is great. But instead, the nations looked at Israel and said, gee, the the God of Israel must be pretty pathetic because look, look at his people. Look at his land. It's been decimated. Look at his people. They are scattered throughout the whole world. Uh, and so God's name became a laughing stock amongst the peoples and nations of the world. Now, if you want to know how that feels, um, just this past week, we Australians have experienced something of that. I wonder what you think I'm going to say next. Well, let me tell you. Uh, we've had these incredibly talented tennis players representing Australia at Wimbledon. Uh, their names are Bernard Tomic and Nick Kyrgios. And you think they are incredibly talented athletes. And we so want them to do well. We want them to make us proud to be Australian. But instead, they keep doing stupid things. And they keep being rude and childish and disrespectful to the point where... This is not just me saying this. You read it in the papers. A lot of the sporting journalists are saying we'd rather them not represent Australia uh, because instead of bringing 
honour to Australia, they have actually tainted Australia's reputation amongst the nations. Now, you, you feel like, I don't know whether that makes you feel a little bit grieved, but you take that something of that emotion and magnify it a million times. That is how God felt as the people of Israel who he had chosen and poured out his affection on lived in such a way that his name was profaned and become a laughingstock among the nations. And so God says, this is what I am going to do. Look at verse 24. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you and bring you back. Just a constant string of initiatives that God is going to take. I will sprinkle you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I'll put my spirit in you. I will save you. I'll make you prosperous. Uh, there's about 15 statements where God says, I will do this and this and this and this and this. But what's God's motivation? Why does God take the initiative and do all these things for the people of Israel? What's his motivation? For the sake of his name. Look at verse 21. I had concern for my holy name which the people of Israel had profaned among the nations. Verse 22. Not for your sake, people of Israel, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned. Verse 23. I will show the holiness of my great name which has been profaned then the nations will know that i am the lord when i am proved holy right when i am hallowed before you uh, through you before their eyes and just in case you've missed the point over in verse 32 i want you to know that i'm not doing this for your sake it's not for your sake israel it is for the sake of my holy name God's great uh, salvation in history was actually for the sake of his holy name, that his name might be hallowed, uh, honoured amongst the nations. I reckon Ezekiel 36 is one of those passages that revolutionises the way we think about God. Uh, it, it turns us... It, let me give you two examples. I'll, Two examples that are trivial at one level, but help illustrate the point. The first has to do with cats and dogs. Um, so you, do, you treat cats and dogs the same, right? I don't know if you're a dog lover or a cat lover, but as far as I can work out, a dog says this. Um, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. You must be God, right? So that's the conclusion the dog draws. You must be God. Um, a cat says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. And what's the conclusion? I must be God. Um, and uh, it's just... Now, we do the same, don't we? So, so you, you treat a cat and a dog exactly the same. One concludes, you are God because you treat me so beautifully. The other concludes, I must be God because you give me all this attention. Um, I reckon our natural tendency as human beings is to think like cats. Uh, and that is, 
we see God rescue us and bless us and show every kindness to us. Uh, and we mightn't articulate it. We mightn't say, oh, I am God. But we think that way, don't we? Uh, we think that, well, God, yeah, God's there, but his job revolves around me and his whole existence is there to bless me. It's all about me. So whether you articulate it or not, it's that belief that at the heart of the universe is me. I am God. Uh, and the other example that illustrates it, you've seen it before if you've been here for a while, is uh, the way they used to think about the solar system. Because they used to think about the solar system with the Earth at the centre and all the planets, including the Sun, revolve around the Earth. Uh, then Copernicus came along and he said, no, you've got it wrong. The Sun is at the centre and all the planets, including the planet Earth, revolves around the Sun. And do you know what? It's called the, the Copernican Revolution, right? Suggested by Nicholas Copernicus. It was so revolutionary that lots of academics refused to even look at the evidence because it was too much of a revolution in the way they thought about the universe. Now, most people, when it comes to God and themselves, most people think of the universe with themselves at the centre. And everything revolves around me, even God. Yes, he's God and he's got a job to do, but his job revolves around me because life is all about me at the centre. And passages like Ezekiel 36 are utterly revolutionary because what they do is they say, no, there's something even more important than you, and that is God. God is at the centre and everything revolves around him. Even my life revolves around him. And God is at pains to point that out to the people of Israel. It's not ultimately about you. I am doing this for my sake, for the sake of my holy name, not for your sake. So when we pray and our first request to God is, hallowed be your name, we are saying to God, my greatest desire revolves around you. Your honour your glory are my first priority. Um, it's good to pray that first, isn't it? Because so quickly we slip into a self-centered attitude to prayer where it's all about us. But Jesus positions God's honor and God's glory right at the start of our prayers. Now, when you pray, hallowed be your name, how do you expect God will answer that prayer? What do you expect God will do? Well, when the disciples prayed it, uh, their, their prayers were answered through Jesus dying on the cross. Uh, because Jesus dying on the cross brought cleansing, and when Jesus rose again, he poured out his spirit. All the stuff that Ezekiel 36 talked about is fulfilled in Jesus. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we look back to Jesus and, and that Jesus has done 
so much of what needed to be done, cleansed us, forgiven us, poured his spirit into our hearts. But we expect now that God would hallow his name through us. Rather than God's name being profaned through us, we want God to be shown to be holy and glorious and good through our lives. We are part of the fulfilment of our own prayer. Right? And I just want to point you to a couple of passages that help us see this. Um, Matthew chapter 5, have a look there on your outlines. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See the pattern? People are meant to look at us and bring honour to God's holy name. Or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, and uh, it was expressed in the Westminster Catechism where you would ask, your, you know, you would ask your, the kids a question, what is the chief end of man? And they would answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, and we've tried to capture some of this in our own vision. We want Jesus' love and God's word to so fill us and overflow from us that everyone in our region has compelling reason to follow Jesus. We want to make God and his son Jesus attractive. Uh, not because we're putting on a show, but we have, because we've been genuinely transformed by God's Holy Spirit. When we lie and cheat, when we harbour hate and forgiveness, we rob God of the glory that he deserves. People look at us and conclude, well, they're no different. They're just as self-centred, self-serving. They're just as... They're, they're worse than others because they're hypocrites. They claim to be good and yet they do all this stuff. And what we do if we allow those things in our lives, we rob God of the honour that is due him, we profane his name, we do the opposite of what God has saved us to do, that is to, to bring honour to his name. So the start of the Lord's Prayer is a request. We want God to get the glory he deserves. We want his name to be honoured as holy. God will answer that prayer with a yes. You pray that to God, he will honour his name. But I want you to expect that you are part of the answer to your own prayer. That as you pray that, you're asking God to fill you with the Spirit, to transform you so that you you move away from that self-centred, self-serving attitude that is so natural for us. And we move towards having God at the centre, having Jesus, living for his praise and his glory and not our own. Now, do you have any, um, any questions from uh, what we've been talking about? I went to grab my drink and it's not there. Uh, Anyone got any? Yeah, Alan.
Yeah, yeah. So, good observation. So, we, I think we call it the Lord's Prayer because when the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? He said, this is how you pray. So, it's, <clears throat> it's the Lord's Prayer in that it's the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But, yeah, it's our prayer. Yeah, the disciples' prayer. Good one. Yeah, Haley. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so Haley's just pointed out that it's interesting that it says our Father um, because Jesus has just before this said, when you pray, go in. Oh, thank you, brother. Rhonda's just gone to get me one as well. (coughs) Ask and it will be given to you. (coughs) Even God's even more efficient than uh, than our brothers and sisters. Uh, Thank you very much. So um, when we pray our Father, uh, so Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room you know, and into your closet or what, what are you going to do? Do it in private. And Jesus' concern is that when we are only praying in front of other people and we're doing flowery, you know, long, wordy prayers, then the danger is we're just doing it for show. Right? Uh, we're actually more concerned about the praise of other people then we are the praise of God. And Jesus says that's hypocrite's approach to prayer. And those people who do that, they get their reward in full. Right? They get what they're looking for. They get the praise of men, but they don't get any praise from God. They, they, they are dishonoured by God. And so Jesus is saying prayer ought to be a private thing, and yet he teaches us a prayer that says, Our Father. And I think, I think you're probably right, Haley. that is it's a prayer we pray with Jesus, but I also think it's a prayer we pray with one another. So I think there is a place for corporate prayer that, he, that part of praying the Lord's Prayer is recognising we are brothers and sisters one with another and with Christ. Uh, we are part of a family. This is the family prayer. Yeah. John. Okay, so a comment. I won't repeat the whole comment, but yes, thanks. Thank you, brother. All right, have last question, and then I'll um, wrap it up. It's, it's a it's a request. So it is a statement of fact, but as Jesus taught it, he taught it to be a request. So just as Israel profaned God's name, we are saying no. We want God's name to be honoured amongst the nations. So it's a request. Um, So I want to come back to the promise we started with, right? Where we started at the beginning. Uh, God says, I will give you the desires of your heart. Now, does anyone recognize that promise, where it comes from? Mm. Psalm 37.4. Let's have a look. Do the reveal. Oh, there it is. 
Uh, and it has a statement up the front that I was a little bit naughty before and I didn't show you. And that is, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what I want you to see is that it's a real promise. God will give you the desires of your heart. But that first qualification is so important. And that is, delight yourself in the Lord. Like God... God doesn't want us in our prayer life to be utterly self-centred like the rest of the world, for it all to be about me and my glory. God wants our prayers to be centred on him and his purposes. They are good and they will be for our good, but I think what Jesus is teaching us in the Lord's Prayer is to recalibrate our priorities from ourselves towards him. Yes, we will come to pray about our, ourselves, you know, give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins and so on, but we start praying, refocusing our, our, our goals and desires on God and his glory and his kingdom and his will. Um, so our first concern is hallowed be your name. And if that's your heart's desire, God will give it to us as we pray it. So as we finish up, I've got a couple of things. Firstly, if you're not a Christian, there's lots of challenging stuff we've been looking at this morning and you may feel a little confused and go, where do I go from here? Um, well, you've got to start with Jesus. Right? It all centres on him. And Michael is running a course that begins next Sunday uh, where you can actually spend five weeks thinking about who Jesus is, what evidence there is for him. Uh, that's the starting point of entering into a relationship with, with God. It's through Jesus. Can I encourage you to hook into that course with Michael? For those of us who are Christian, I hope you have felt a challenge this morning uh, what is my greatest desire? Am I concerned about God and his glory? Or am I still, do I still have that cat way of thinking? Right? It's all about me and all, everything revolves around me. Right? Jesus wants us to have a first priority that hallowed be God's name. Am I pleading with God to transform me that I might live for his praise and his honour? So I want you to pray, uh, and I want you to keep praying this prayer during this coming week. Uh, my goal is that this series will transform us in our prayers and in our lives. Um, so take a moment to pray before I lead us in prayer together. lead us 
in prayer. Dear God, our Father, you are the almighty God, all-powerful. Nothing is impossible with you. We want to thank you for the privilege we have through Jesus and his death and resurrection and the pouring out of his spirit. We want to thank you for the privilege of calling on you as our Father that you love to hear our requests, that you want us to cast our cares on you. Uh, We thank you that you're willing and able to answer our prayers. Father, we want our first concern to be your glory. So we pray, hallowed be your name. We are sorry for our self-centeredness when we live as if it's all about us. Uh, We are sorry for our sin because it not only harms us and it not only harms others, but it robs you of the glory that you deserve. It taints your holy name when your people uh, stray into sin. Please cleanse us and change us. So fill us with your love and your word that it overflows from us that through our words and actions, your name is honoured and Jesus gets the glory, praise, trust, worship that he deserves. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.